Welcome to the Capture Anthropology podcast, where I talk to people all over the world about their experiences and discuss perspectives that might be different to my own as well as yours. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, then you have a curious and open mind, and who knows, by stepping into someone else's shoes, you might learn something new. I'm your host, Alanis, and you can find me at captureanthropology.com or Capture Anthropology on Instagram. Good morning, good day, good afternoon, hello. On today's episode, I'm talking to Joe, a gay, left-leaning American man based in Missouri State. We talk about the US election and how it's impacted him, as well as diving deep into the history of America's systemic racism. It's a long one, so brew a tea, grab some biscuits, and subscribe, and I'll see you on the other side of this eye-opening chat. Do you want to introduce yourself, or how do you want to do it? Hi, my name is Joe. I am a left-leaning American citizen. That's a pretty rare thing to find <laughs> nowadays. Uh, I live in a Trump-supporting state called Missouri that is located in the very center of the United States, literally <laughs> in an area called the Midwest. And so um, I'm here today to talk to you guys about a little bit of an American perspective that you don't often hear Mm -hmm. And I'm going to provide you a unique perspective as a gay man in the probably one of the worst areas to live in the United States and be gay in. Amazing. I'm so excited to get the conversation on the road. Um, But I just want to say thank you again for doing this with me and giving us a taste of what it's like to be in America Um, because as I said to you before we started recording um, in the UK we don't really get to see much more on of America than what we see on TV in the news and that tends to be places like LA New York um, and those kind of things so I mean I want to kick off with who did you vote for and why did you vote for them? The loaded question that it is. Uh, the classic. That's I've been asking that question a lot recently, and it's been very telling. Um, I voted for Joe Biden, and I voted for Joe Biden. This is going to be one you don't hear often. I voted for simply self-preservation. <laughs> I knew that if Trump got elected again, that was going to be bad for my rights. As an individual, mm-hmm. I do not like Joe Biden. Make no mistake, you know, I'm left leaning. Joe Biden, in my opinion, is a diet Republican. Right. So I I do not support all of his views, and I don't support you know everything he's done and said. But you know, it's a rock and a hard place in this U.S. election, and so I had to choose the hard place. <laughs> For sure, for sure. I mean, I'd really like to go into a bit more of how, obviously, Missouri is a Trump voting state. Um, And I'd really like to talk a bit more about how that's impacted you. You know, you're living in, as you said, um, one of the worst places to be who you are. Um, 
or in your opinion. And um, it would just be really interesting to to talk to you about how that's impacted you, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, whatever you'd like to ask. <laughs> okay. So, um, I mean, I guess we'll just start with the, like, do you think with the election, um, obviously being in a Trump-voted state, do you think that that's had a direct impact on you more recently? Obviously, it's probably been talked about a bit more since the election yeah. has been coming closer. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I am probably the leftist leaning person in my family as well. And so that has caused mm -hmm. a lot of discourse in my family. Mm -hmm. A lot of discord, not discourse. We don't <laughs> There's a lot okay. of bad feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and... Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty polar this this election, you know, this presidency has been a very polarizing thing. You're either this side or that side. You're either this or you're that. You're either that or this, you know. It's left, right, blue, red, you know. You see that over and over and over. It's rehashed in the media. The right's attacking you. The left's attacking you. The right's taking your rights. The left's taking your rights. You know, it's a whole bunch of hogwash, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's just meant to brainwash and confuse the other person. I think a majority of Trump supporters aren't bad people. They're just mm -hmm. brainwashed. Okay. You know, they've been fed, and this is a systemic issue, and I can go into that a little bit in a little bit, but they've been fed false information, disinformation, you know, the education they received has been poor and lackluster intentionally. Mm -hmm. And it, there's a lot of factors that go into, in my opinion, I think a lot of them have just been brainwashed to think that Trump is doing all of these things that he's not. For sure. You know? Yeah, it's really interesting. And then when you hear him go on TV and tell you don't trust the media, everything the media tells you is fake you know, you begin mm -hmm. to tr not trust anything you see, except for the people that you already know are supposed to be trustworthy. And so it creates this vicious circle. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, I don't go anywhere else to look for information. All of the information I receive is false. I don't go anywhere else to double check that to verify because everything else is fake news. It's out to get me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds quite scary, actually, <laughs> to be in that kind of environment. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And like, as a, a gay man in Missouri, yes. you have to be really careful on who you let know your political stances and, you know, if you are gay or not. And I yeah. have the, the fortunate capacity that I am a rather straight acting individual. By talking to me, you can't tell I'm gay. Right. Uh, by the way I act, you can't tell I'm gay. Mm. But if you meet my boyfriend, Steven, within 30 seconds, you know he's gay. And that's just how it is. And he and I have completely different experiences in our day-to-day -day lives. Right, Every yeah. Day, you know, I, when I go into a place, don't have to worry about who's in that building doesn't have to worry about if that person is going to get mad at me you know yeah yeah 
No, that's really interesting. Um, and yeah, it must be must be quite difficult to have to worry about that all the time, um, like you said. Um, I mean, kind of leading on from that, why do you think then people vote for Trump? I mean, loaded question again, but I no, think... No, that's totally okay. Um, so for that, it's a little bit of a U.S. history lesson. So <laughs> go for it. I'm going to kind it. of go into first things first. I will say that when I say the right wing in the United States, mm -hmm. our right wing isn't your right wing. Right. Our right wing is so far to the right. It's, it's it borderline extremism that mm. our left people would be considered conservative by most standards. Right. You know, we're fighting for the basic things that every other country has, you know. Yeah. A great example is you go to the doctor, you know, in an emergency medical visit to the ER, you know, in the U.S. it's called the ER emergency room. Yeah. I went this summer because I had a kidney stone and they charged me $9,000. I was in the ER for four hours. Yeah. No medical procedures done, nothing special. I literally had one scan and uh, three shots for pain medicine. Yeah, that, that you just saying 9,000, actually, that physically hurt me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and then, <sighs> you know, we have insurance here in the United States mm. because we don't have universal health care. We have to pay for it. And so we have to get insurance to help cover those things. And so we pay our insurance. But yeah. my insurance only covered 6000 of it. So I'm on the hook for $2,800. I make $13 an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, a lot of money for a lot of people. You know, most people don't just have that kind of money sitting around. So I totally understand. Yeah. And so the right on our end is super right. You know, a great example of this is in the United States, I don't know if he's super popular elsewhere, but he is for the right wing as a political commentator. His name is Ben Shapiro. Never heard of him. Go on. <laughs> well, he went on the BBC mm. and was talking to Andrew Neil. Right. And I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a pretty well-known conservative. Right. And in the middle of this interview, Ben Shapiro just got angry at Andrew Neil because it's a British interview. They ask real hard questions. They don't yeah. ask American questions. They no. ask real questions that make you, you know, they're not one-sided. You can't slip out of it. And mm. he got mad and was just started calling Andrew Neil a leftist, uh, a leftist chill, and that the BBC wasn't a neutral organization. He just left the or, you know. And that's, that is our right. <laughs> that's the best way to explain it is they're just so far right, it's ridiculous. Right. And so how did this happen in the United States? The first couple points that I really want to bring about is that there have been, that there's two main political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, but they didn't always have the same values. In fact, they completely switched values. Right. In the 1800, you know, today the Democrats are the progressive party. They are the party that, you know, 
at least champions currently minority rights, et cetera, and has always appealed to that in modern history. But if you go back 200 years, the Democrats were the ones fighting the, emancipri the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed the slaves during the Civil War. Right. I think that and, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So Abraham Lincoln was the mm. first Republican. He was the founder, well, not the founder, but the first leader of the brand new party. And he was the champion for, you know, getting the United States put back together, going through the Civil War. He couldn't finish his plans because obviously he was assassinated. And then um, his vice president took over. But that was... Republicans in the 1800s. I'll talk a little bit about a man called Strom Thurmond and the ideal shift from Republican to Democrat and from Democrat to Republican. But I have to go a little bit even further back to the start of the Civil War and why that is an issue. So the United States is an incredibly a racist organization like it was founded and steeped in racism you know it's yeah. built on the back of slaves mm -hmm. you know that's how the u.s got to be the u.s we wouldn't be here without them and so there is a lot of institutionalized things that have been there since the start of the country that were racist yeah and that's really hard to get rid of in the United States because, A, the system was designed for the average person to not have that much influence. The system was designed for rich, white, wealthy landowners. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's a lot of people and a lot of, you know, people in the U.S. like to think that the founding fathers were, you know, these poor peasant farmers that pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. And that's just not <laughs> the case. You know, the majority of them were rich. Yeah. yeah you know, their sure. parents were in positions of power. They got positions of power at 18. You know, like Thomas Jefferson was like a general or leading an army at 21. You know, yeah. this is not, you know, typical, easy, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps people. This is, you know, people with silver spoons born in their mouths. And they designed the system so that people like them can stay in power. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, yeah. it's incredibly ironic that, you know, Thomas Jefferson and all of those people, you know, they signed a document that says all men are created equal when they literally owned other men. You know? Yeah. And so... You really have to understand the four periods of slavery in the United States. You have the actual slave area. Yeah. And that's when, you know, we were first getting started. And then you have right after the Emancipation Proclamation, which is kind of known as the Jim Crow era, which right. was a political leader back then who named the laws. And basically, it was just all of these laws were passed disenfranchise black voters and to disenfranchise anybody who didn't support the status quo you know that war you'll hear a lot of times people say that the civil war was fought over states rights and while that is correct 
Mm-hmm. It's correct in the sense that they were fighting over the state's right to own slaves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I um, don't remember all of my time in America. Um, For anyone listening that doesn't know, I lived in Missouri for almost two years. Um, Some of my most vivid memories were visiting um, Civil War reenactments, uh, which are a thing. (laughs) <laughs> which I yes. think is so bizarre. America um, loves its wars. It's part of the right wing brainwashing, in my opinion, that we have glorified this warmongering. And I can go into that after your point, but continue. <laughs> I was just going to say that it's it's interesting reflecting on it now, because when I was 12 years old, going to this sort of civil war reenactment is kind of like going to like a market or a fair, you know, it's kind of supposed to be this fun thing. And there's, there's like a gift stool and there's all these history things you can do. And it was a load of fun. Right. But now looking back, I'm like, why were we visiting a reenactment of the civil war? (laughs) This is so weird. Why are people reenacting this? You know? Um, so it's, it's interesting that, that you feel that plays such a big part in this is all I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's partially because it, I think it's intentional. America is a very, it was founded on the ideas of imperialism, which was founded from the British empire. And so (laughs) in the early 1800s, this is what I was about to go into. There was a and this is an actual political thought and historical fact, there was a mindset manifest destiny. And it was our God-given right, the white man's God-given right, Mm -hmm. expand westward. Which is the period of time where America is known best, the cowboys, the wild west, cowboys and Indians. Yeah, the the movies. (laughs) That was a literal genocide. Mm, yeah, like, no, yeah. We that has been like my biggest complaint about that kind of stuff is like we don't represent our history well at all. Ask any Native American about their history, and it's filled with bloodshed because the American government, you know, yeah. and yeah. we we still haven't recognized that. You know, there was a great quote by, uh, I believe it was Malcolm X, and it was, if you stab me in the back and the knife goes in nine inches and you pull the knife out three inches, that's not progress. If you pull the knife out, that's not progress. Progress only occurs when that wound begins to heal, when you address that wound. And that's something, you know, the United States isn't even doing. We don't even recognize the knife is there. (laughs) We're pretending yeah. that, you know, we're mm-hmm. not stabbed in the back. Yeah. And so that's really why I wanted to come on the show and, you know, kind of give a viewpoint you don't hear. Yeah. Is that, well, yeah, slavery was ended, but it still exists. The ideals, you know, still exist. Yeah, I think it's really interesting for you to illuminate a bit more on the history because, um, like you said, it started with the British Empire, and I think we're not totally innocent in this. Um, But it is interesting to see how that legacy has continued on because I think 
something I've noticed, so my own opinion here, is that um, a lot of people assume that because English people speak English and American people speak American English, we'll say, um, same, you know, same language, essentially, we can communicate. Yes. Um, I think people is automatically assume that that comes with a similar culture and a similar values, similar values. And I think from my experience, that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, not at all. And so that for me was a big driving force with asking these questions is people are sitting here thinking we would never vote for these people or I don't know, some people in England might, but yeah. you know, from, from our perspective, it's very difficult for us to understand some of the presidents that have come and gone because we wouldn't necessarily vote for them. And it, I think it's difficult for a British person to get into the mindset of an American because all we ever see is Hollywood and a yeah. lot of these like teen dramas that are essentially the American dream on a screen. They're not reality, you know? Yeah, never, if you ever see any sort of a representation of an American high school, just assume that it is wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, If for you sure. see it on TV, unless it is an actual physical high school and they're interviewing high school students, whatever they are portraying you is wrong. Yeah. Because the American education system is a sham. <laughs> that is one of the big points I want to bring up, too, is that part of the reason why people, Donald Trump gets elected is because there has been a conceded effort to, um, I guess, slow intellectual progression i don't really know it's basically intentionally sabotaging our public education system so that you know it's easier for the political to elite to push their agendas you know mm. an educated citizen is a dangerous citizen an yeah. uneducated citizen is a complacent happy citizen because he doesn't know the atrocities that are going on around him Hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of like, um, well, what I would refer to as like the hidden curriculum. So uh, I assume you know what that is, but let me know if you don't. <laughs> um, so when like the government, um, yes, essentially, kind of not, they don't do it very obviously, but the government make tweaks, let's say little changes to the system, um, so that they can raise you to think what they want you to think, essentially. Yep. yep. And like, the United States is a great example of that because if you open up uh, any American history book that you find in a public school, mm. and it is completely whitewashed, yeah. and that's the best way to put mm. it, you know, yeah. you can pick any point in history, and you know, I'll bring up just like the American Indians, you know. A lot of early history books, you know, up until you get to like the very final few years of high school, um, the basically just detail, well, the Indians got pushed off of their homes, the cowboys scared them out, the Trail of Tears existed. Yeah. yeah. They don't go over the fact, you know, that it was a systemic government, you know, conceded effort by the army to eradicate the native people because 
they were getting forced off of the land that they owned. Yeah. They were there first. Mm -hmm. And because this ideal of manifest destiny, it's my God-given right. I have the moral authority here because God told me. Yeah. So, you know, Mm. I get to burn your village. I get to disenfranchise an entire nation of people and send them to a completely different land and expect them to thrive. You know, silly stuff like that, that isn't brought up and it's completely neglected in our history. And I think that is a great, I think that's one of the biggest, um, let me think, injustices of the Mm. American society here. Sure. Because, you know, an education, it seems like in these last couple of elections is something that has been used against you because now that you're educated, you are indoctrinated because for whatever reason, this political machine has been so effective over the years that anything that is against what the government says is now fake news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, I, I was I was just laughing because um, I, I had a recent lecture in fake news and it, it just reminded me of the Man, whole deal. Fake, yeah, that's that's a that's a whole great concept. Mm. But <clears throat> I mean, adding on to what you said, I mean, in terms of I know one of obviously the big the big sort of campaigns was this make America great again, right? And that's a really interesting statement to me because I mean, that's the perfect example of that brainwashing is when white people look back, they see, oh, the Indians were moved by wagon. They got to go somewhere else. Mm. They see, oh yeah, there was a couple years where black people got shot with fire hoses and there were some mean white people that did that, but segregation ended, you know? And when minorities or the people that got the brunt end of that look back, they see the dogs, they see the fire hoses, they see the burning crosses, they see the army moving their entire nation across the country. No, the United States is massive, by the way. I want people to realize when I say they moved across the entire country, that would be literally like walking. They walked. from the south the very south of the uk all the way you know to like scotland um to put it in perspective uh a little rough it's it's not exact but a a rough size comparison um is the the mainland uk so england scotland wales is roughly the same size as like missouri state yeah and so, <laughs> Missouri isn't even the biggest state in the United States. Missouri's actually, I'd say it's like a medium-sized yeah, state. Yeah, it's a mid-sized know? state. It's the not Texas, like, it's yeah. not New York. <laughs> yeah, well, New York's not even that big. It just has an incredibly high population density. Mm. Yes. You know, it just yeah. has a crap ton of people shoved in a little area. <laughs> yeah. You know, the most populated, New York, New York is literally part of an island. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's insane. It's pretty cool, but yeah, you know, this, they look back and they think those were the great periods. Make America great again. Yeah. They don't, they ignore all of the horrible atrocities that come back 
with bringing back making America great again. And they just focus on what they want to see. It's mm. part of this brainwashing. Yeah. I mean, um, in terms of like why people are voting what they are, I mean, obviously, as we said at the beginning, you're in a Trump voting state. And if you look at the election um, map of the US, you do see that essentially that you could probably like draw a line right down the middle, like a stripe uh, that is red. <laughs> um, and I wondered if you had any comments on why for some, for some reason, unknown to some of the rest of the world, why the whole middle of America is very Trump leaning and the, the coastal uh, states a little bit more, we'll say Biden inclined, you know, in this, in yeah. this context. And so that has to do with a couple different things. That's a lot of socioeconomic and a lot of political um, things to unpack there. <laughs> so when first things first, when you have to discuss um, political leanings is population density. Yeah. If you look at the United States, all of those red areas, well, not all, most of those red areas are going to be very low population densities. Mm-hmm. But the reason they have such a great effect is because the system was rigged by our founding fathers. Ah, like this, that's why I wanted to bring this up earlier because <laughs> we have something in the United States that is uniquely United States. It's called the Electoral College. Mm. And you've probably been seeing that a lot in the news recently in 270. What does that mean? You know, what is what is, you know, the electoral college, this seems like silliness, you know, people are voting, why doesn't that matter? Mm. The electoral college was an institution created to keep the rich white powerful. It was, in, in my opinion, this is a hotly contested point now. <laughs> I will introduce my bias here. In my opinion, mm -hmm. I feel like that it is super, yeah, hold on. I, I had my point here and I've lost it. It's okay, take your time, not a problem, <laughs> not a problem. Um, it has to do with not only the, the population density of those rural areas being more spread out, but like in the center of the country, you have the Bible Belt on the coasts, that's where your population densities are you know, right. West Coast, LA, that's the most populated city mm. in the United States. Mm. And the Electoral College takes the power out of those states and gives it to those rural areas. There's a bunch of videos on YouTube you can go and find that explain how broken this system is. But I'm pretty sure you can win the presidency with like 30% of the popular vote just based on how our system works wow because it what it does is it gives the entire state a number of votes based on population but yeah. it does not account for individual populations within that state these states are as big as countries so that's a little bit hard for a lot of foreigners to understand because I'm talking about Missouri. Missouri is as big as the area of your country. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of discourse within just Missouri, you know, yeah. 
in Missouri itself, I'll speak specifically because I'm from there and you're from there. You know, <laughs> Go for it, yeah. I was born and raised in St. Louis. St. Louis, Kansas City are pretty much the only democratic places in Missouri. Right. But they also account for a little bit less than half of Missouri's population. Mm-hmm. The rest of Missouri is super not populated and votes red. You look basically every election going way, way, way back, it's red. And part of that is because we are in the Bible Belt and Mm -hmm. the right wing appeals to the Judeo-Christian values of the United States. But um, also rural and you can probably speak more to this than i can because i grew up in a super populated area in st louis and i had one of the better schools of missouri but rural education is horrible (laughs) in the united states um i won't i won't go too deep into it because i i only spent two years there which i also realize is not as much of the education system as everybody else. Um, But I will say that it's definitely different. Um, There's definitely things that I remember learning in rural Missouri high school. Um, And I I don't know if I mentioned this before, but there's things I remember learning and then coming back to the UK and saying them to people because, you know, I'd learned them Mm -hmm. and getting some seriously wacky looks, you know, Um, getting some serious, like, saying things um, in classes or to friends and saying, oh, yeah, I know about this. This is what happened. And and them going, no, <laughs> that is not yeah. what happened. <laughs> and I had to, I had to, over the past 10 years, I've had to re-educate myself in, in certain areas. Um, I Like I said, I won't go into too much detail because I'd, I'd like to keep my side of this conversation fairly neutral, but... Yeah, I would say that the rural schools, um, it's definitely hit and miss on what you get, what you get. Yeah, and a lot of that is intentional, you know. The federal government, you know, has really, really done a disservice to rural communities because, you know, now they're so brainwashed that they will vote against themselves, you know. They have convinced the red population that big government is bad, which there's that is the political debate. You know, I can sit here and debate that all day long. Mm. They have convinced that big government is bad. And if you let big government into your schools, big government's going to make your education worse. Right. Because in the United States, we also have this false. Um, ideal that private education is better meaning there are things such as public schools which are funded by state and federal money and then there are private schools which have their own curriculums set by themselves not having to do anything with Mm -hmm. uh, the federal regulations because they are privately funded and they don't have to follow federal law and that's something we we have a similar we we have a similar um, a similar uh, schools here, so you can go to private school here, which um, is your parents pay for you to go. 
Um, yeah. So it, it, it's privately funded. Um, I don't know too much about the ins and outs of the curriculum. Um, generally, um, this is a real general statement on my part, but um, generally the consensus is if you have private education, your education does tend to be better because you uh, private schools can afford you know the best teachers and, and the, yeah. the better quality education as it were um but you know most people do go to state-funded schools yeah and in the united states a big point of that is private schools can be religiously charged that's a big thing is in the u.s that's supposed to be public schools are supposed to remain objective non-religious Right. But the problem is, is America is a Christian nation. It yeah. has, it, that's what it was founded. The first people that came here were Christians that mm. got kicked out of Europe, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it's a heavily, heavily Christian nation. Mm. And that is partially why the United States, and this is going to be controversial, so I'll have to explain this a little bit. Because I, and by all means, I do not hate religion. Yeah, no, but it's fine. You cannot ignore the fact that for a very long time, our Judeo Christian values in the United States aligned very closely and were utilized to push white supremacy. Right. Push, mm -hmm. You know, um, genocide of the American Indians to push you know all sorts of different things because it was easy when it was ordained by god yeah it's, it, like um if, if i'm interpreting this correctly it was almost uh used as more of an institution than a religion exactly yeah. you know another thing is how hypocritical our founding fathers were where they put in our constitution that the separation of church and state must remain equal but our national motto is one nation under god <laughs> yeah it's a so, national motto and a half that hmm. you know our pledge of allegiance is i pledge allegiance to the flag of the united states of america one nation under god indivisible for all you know yeah and that's something i think a lot of people don't understand is i grew up i the reason i remember part of that is because i grew up every single day saying that every yeah. morning it was part of the indoctrination they made mm. you stand up every day face the flag hand over your heart if you didn't you were getting in trouble yeah and i, I have a funny story i have a funny story about that actually um so i now this i don't know if if Stephen would remember um for context i went to school with Stephen for a little while um but so when i found out i was moving back to the uk um i was like mom does this mean i don't have to say the pledge of allegiance anymore <laughs> and she was like for sure you're not an american citizen do what you want so i i didn't do it i sat down and everyone looked at me and they were like Oh my God! Why? Yeah. Why are and you saying the Pledge of Allegiance? What's wrong with you? You became the weird one. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You became the troublemaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's became how... the weird one. <laughs> it's 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 intentional. That's that's how it's structured because it builds these sentiments of nationalism. Our nation can do no wrong. Founded mm -hmm. one nation under God. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely interesting thinking back on that because. 
I realize now how um, problematic it is that by me sitting down and being like, I don't have to do this. That was, that was like a real issue. Everybody, like probably five people all just looked at me and they were like, why are you not doing this? Yeah. And it wasn't until I said, you know what? I'm not an American citizen. I don't have to do this and I'm going to (laughs) leave. They were like, they, they were okay with it, but they were still a bit weirded out. You know, they They were like, like, why are you here then? Yeah, yeah, they kind of did the, that's okay, but. You'll you know? hear that a lot in today's political. If you don't like it, leave. Mm. If you don't like it, get out of here. You know, you're not welcome here. You know, that, that is something rehashed in the media you hear all the time. Our president has said it, you know, send them back to their countries. If you don't like it, get out of here, you know. Yeah. And the good old days, that didn't happen, you know, stuff like that. Excuse me. And there is a big influence on that because of, you know, what you experienced, that brainwashing that has been happening since the early 1900s, ever since the public education system was invented. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I... For me, it was always kind of a weird one because I, like I said, I, I was 12 when I moved to Missouri. Uh, before that, I was educated in the UK. So I had never come across pledging allegiance before. I didn't know what it meant. Um, and that, what I found very um, interesting is you have to remember in the context of a 12-year-old brain, you know, t- you know, you don't really know what's going on in the world when you're 12 yeah. years old. A lot of people um were shocked that i didn't know the pledge of allegiance on my first day and i was like this is an american thing and i am not from here (laughs) um and it is interesting looking back at that thinking you know that was quite shocking to some people and that to me is shocking you know um that there are genuinely people in missouri who have never known life outside of missouri yep and I am of the, I don't want to live in Missouri. As soon as I can afford to move out, I'm planning on it because, you know, this isn't a a healthy environment for someone like me, you know, the mental toll, the physical toll. I I just don't want to deal with it, you know, Mm. and I'll kind of explain that now with, you know, how those Judeo-Christian values, that point I was bringing up earlier, affects me directly and affects Missouri directly. And so Missouri is at the very tip of something in the United States called the Bible Belt, which is a super heavily densely Christian population. It's not densely populated. It's a rural area. It's huge. The the Bible Belt is massive. It spans multiple states, but it is entirely Christian. If you are not Christian, you you basically stand out. You don't belong. This is where you yeah. see those extreme people you find on the news. Mm. To put it in perspective for British listeners, um, you know, the part of Missouri I lived in and, and other parts, I'm, I'm 100% sure, you know, you in England, to, so you can kind of understand where I'm coming from, uh, we have one church per town. They tend to be very old buildings. <laughs> um, yeah. We have one very old church per town. Um, it's almost, 
I mean, cities, you have a few more because you have one per district, yeah, you know? Big, yeah, big cities. But, but generally, you have one in every district or town, maybe two if you've got more than one denomination. Um, where I used to live, you might have five on one street. Yeah. It's, it's in, in Missouri. Yeah. It's pretty intense. There's, you can throw a stone and hit one basically. Yeah. And you know, that is, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but mm-hmm. politics has also used that to its mm-hmm. advantage. And partly because, um, it's just how it's been in the United States and partly because, People don't know about it. They don't understand it. And and especially in the U.S., when you discuss things like this in a non-positive light, they take it as you are attacking their ideals and their foundations. You know, I have no problem with anyone who is religious. That's A-OK. I myself am not religious. I am an atheist. But that is, you know, beside the point. Yeah. When religion begins to infringe on my rights or human rights in general, you know, not just mine, when mm-hmm. you use your religion to push these ideals that I don't deserve them, you know, that's that's when I draw an issue. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, that has become a political hot button issue, you know, right. you're one way or the other. And it's really hard to parse it sometimes because Christianity itself, I grew up as a Christian. My dad was a worship pastor. You know, I grew up inside of a church. My sister has a Bible degree. That's how Christian my family is. Okay. (laughs) So I I understand a lot of Christian values Mm -hmm. because I grew up in them. I understood them. I studied them. You go to church every Sunday. You know, that was something you did. And you know, I can see where in an indoctrinated society, you can push those issues very quickly. White supremacists use God as their moral excuse. Still today, the KKK is steeped with the Bible because they use that as their moral justification. Whether or not that's the intent of the religion, you know, that is a matter of debate for the religious people. That's not what I'm trying to put here. I'm not saying all Christians are racists. That is definitely not my intent. No. But you cannot ignore the fact that most racists in the United States use that Bible, that manifest destiny, you know, going back to push their ideals. Mm -hmm. to justify and that influences our politics you know woodrow wilson one of our presidents the very first movie fun fact for you a little bit of american trivia the very first movie ever shown in the white house was shown by woodrow wilson and it was called a birth of the nation and it was a kkk propaganda movie i'm being 100 percent serious and this yeah, was in 19, really 19, like 10, 1915, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could have been a little bit later. I'm not 100% sure on my dates. That's but okay. it was a KKK <laughs> propaganda movie, mm. basically. 
Yeah. And the KKK was socially acceptable up until a very short time ago. People like to think 1963 was a long time ago. That's when the Civil Rights Act was passed, for those who don't know. The Civil Rights Act of 1963 banned segregation in the United States. Very controversial move. And that brings up a really good point of how that still influences today's politics. You know, it was 1963. That was, you know, almost 60 years ago, 70 years ago. We're bordering, you know, who still believes in that? And so I think, is... sorry, <laughs> I was just going to say what's interesting about you saying that about the 1960s is to put that in perspective, you know, um, most people our age, parents um, were born in that time, you know, that's not, if you want to look at it on the scale of time, it's not that long ago. Um, yeah. You're looking maybe one generation ago, two, if you've got younger parents, you know. And that is, these are new concepts for the American people. You know, I'm not sure, I know the UK banned slavery a lot earlier than the United States. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> and I'm not sure on the racial history in the UK and if it was so hard fought, but it was a, you know, 150 year struggle just to make sure black people could vote and not, you know, be beaten for it, not yeah. to get burned at a, you know, have a cross burned in their yard, not in to have their In case you were interested, bombs. in case you're interested, um, I'm looking at my phone screen, I'm not ignoring you. I was Googling, because <laughs> uh, we don't really learn all that much about slavery in the UK in school. That's for a whole other day, whole other podcast episode. Um, but for the general knowledge here, 1833 is when um, Britain's involvement with uh, slavery essentially ended. Um, I will say I'm not sure, I covered a little bit of it in school, and I don't know if that date um, is the day that we banned slavery in the country, or when we banned the slave trade, which are two different days. Yes. Um, because we were a port for a while of transport. Um, so it was something to do with we banned actually owning slaves in the UK. But for a little while after that, um, slaves could still be transported through. Um, but yeah, just to just to add on to your little little history lesson there. <laughs> and in the 1860s, I believe it was 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued banning slavery. And so that's that's a 30 year difference. And then, you know, that didn't take it was not a popular move. And, you know, there were certain steps to take in the political process to avoid another civil war um, that basically politicians ignored the fact that. So, OK, let me explain this a little bit better. <laughs> So after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, mm -hmm. Andrew Johnson became his vice president. And he was tasked with the impossible task of trying to rebuild this fractured nation with the idea that some other guy made. Right. And he did not do well. 
<laughs> he, he did a horrible job. He was almost impeached, actually. Oh, wow. And after his impeachment, all of Abraham Lincoln's ideals to try and unite the country to, you know, end slavery basically was thrown to the side in order to avoid another civil war. Mm. And so we allowed the Jim Crow laws to come into place where it severely limited black access to votes, you know, right. whether or not you had to pass a literacy test, whether or not you had to do this, whether or not you had to do that, you know, simple mm. things. And we pretty much turned a blind eye to the KKK because they were a political organization. They, you know, their job was to disenfranchise black people to make sure their votes still didn't count to make sure that they were still slaves. Because if you could make their votes not count, that means they didn't get rights. That means that you didn't have to pay them. That means in a sense, slavery still exists. It's just now it's not legal. Right. And believe it or not, it was the Democrats of that day that were the ones pushing for slavery. And it wasn't until the Civil Rights Act that that started to change. Right. And that brings my next point. A man named Strom Thurmond. This, uh, this is the part of American history that a lot of people get shocked by. Right. So, and I'm going to pull up, I have a little article pulled up so I can give you a little bit more accurate facts. <laughs> Thanks. So, Strom Thurmond was an American military officer and a politician who served for 48 years as a United States senator from South Carolina. He started, he really became prominent in the political scene when he ran for the presidency in 1948 mm -hmm. as a Dixiecrat, which right. is a Southern Democrat. Okay. Can you um, just uh, let me know what the um, name of the, like the website that is? Just so I, I know like if people want to go see it or whatever. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you can just Google his name. I can give you his name. Is This is just a – I'm giving you some Wikipedia facts. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, that's fine. I just wanted to, to um, for like obviously copyright and everything, I just wanted to make sure that yeah. we know where you're talking from. Yep. That's all good. <laughs> yep. It's from Wikipedia, and this mm -hmm. is just going to be um, basically for my facts and my references. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so he ran as a Dixiecrat. Okay. And what that was, was Southern Democrats, the people who, you know, proposed slavery, who wanted to keep slavery. Mm -hmm. And he ran on a states' rights platform. Remember how I said states' rights? The Civil War was fought over the states' right to own slaves? Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to hear this a lot, is, you know, these racist white supremacists, and this, Strom Thurmond was a white supremacist. I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but they championed states' rights. You know, these are the people that were in the Confederacy. Right. And he ran on a states' right platform supporting racial segregation. He received only 2.4% of the popular vote because he couldn't beat Harry Truman. And I'm going to give you a little bit of history on Strom Thurmond. So in the United States Senate, what the Senate is, it kind of works like your guys' parliament. There's two, there's two forms of that in the United States. You have the House of Representatives and you have the Senate. Right. 
from the Senate is considered the more political elite office. Um, and there's only two representatives from each state. Okay. And so when you get elected to the senator, it's a popular election by that state, obviously. And Strom Thurmond was there for 48 years. Now, in the Senate, you know, what its job is to pass laws, is to come up with constitutional amendments, all sorts of things like that. Well, the Civil Rights Act of 1963 was getting passed. And in the Senate, there's something you can do called a filibust. Right. Where you stand, and you have to stand. There's specific rules regarding it where you have to stand and you try and delay the signing of a bill past the date that it can be signed in order to make sure it doesn't get passed until the next election. Right. And the record in the Senate for the longest filibuster is 24 hours long. Jeez. And guess who owns it? It's old Strom Thurmond, and he was filibusting the Civil Rights Act of 1963. Right. That man stood for 24 hours straight. Wow. And talked about how the Civil Rights Act of 1963 shouldn't get passed, why, you know, all sorts of racist ideologies. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. even going to waste my breath trying to yeah. rehash them. For time's sake, I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but he didn't stop. You're not allowed to stop. He right. literally stood there and talked for 24 hours straight. You can't take a break. Nobody can do it for you. You have to stand up there and do it. And he holds the record for that. It still holds the record. And the scariest part is he was in office until 2003. Wow. South Carolina elected him until 2003. Free, 17 years ago. Yeah. So that gives you a kind of point of view of America. Mm. You know, a lot of America is still pretty racist. The people <laughs> that opposed the Civil mm. Rights Act are still alive. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, Donald Trump got there because he appealed to them. You know, right. he went on national television during a political debate against Joe Biden. And the moderator literally asked him, will you disavow white supremacy? And he just went, proud boys, stand back and stand by. Wow. And the Proud Boys, for those who don't know, is basically just a militia movement within the United States, a, a terrorist organization that has racist roots, KKK, but not the KKK. Right. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> I but, have no idea, but yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of groups that have come out in recent years and supported Donald Trump just like that. Mm. You have groups like the Proud Boys. You have groups like the Three Percenters, which is a reference to the Revolutionary War where only 3% of Americans rebelled against the tyrannical British government. And so... They are literally, you know, a militia organization that exists today that wants to overthrow the government. Right. They support Donald Trump. Don't know why, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, that's, that's, again, a whole other story for a whole other day. Yeah, I, I know. And, like, there's yeah, the, one of the former leaders of the KKK 
during Trump's first election run, came out and publicly endorsed him, you right. know, and it took massive media outcry for him to say, I don't accept that endorsement. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that's a huge voter base that he's trying to appeal to. Mm. People are going, why on God's green earth is this working? Because mm. there's a huge voter base that can appeal to it. And, you know, part of that how he's able to get away with it is because of Richard Nixon and how Richard Nixon broke the political system by showing that you can break the law as the president and get away with it. Yeah. So long as you can hold the vice president that you had feet to the fire, he'll give you a pardon. You're scot-free. Go home. Yeah. Yeah. And so Nixon didn't, he was a crook. He should have gone to jail. Mm -hmm. Nixon would have gone to jail, but he resigned and was pardoned. And so that let the GOP know, the Republicans know, hey, we can appeal pretty much scot-free to whoever we want to. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you get a president like Ronald Reagan, who convinces a whole bunch of these people, you know, that had a high school education that trickle down economics works mm. to keep the political elite, the political elite. Yeah. You know, that's how we have eight families in the United States that control 1%, you know, 1% of people control 99% of the wealth in the United States. It's ridiculous. It's insane. And it's an insane statistic. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, before the show, Walmart, the Walton family yeah. has a GDP that is so large, it would be ranked like in the 30s for country GDP. I mean, um, fun fact, I now I am probably not going to get the date right, but Asda, which is a um, British supermarket, um, was up until recently, I don't think it still is, but I could be wrong, was up until recently owned by Walmart. Um, which we, so we don't have Walmart in the UK, um, but we had Asda, which is, was up until recently owned by the Walmart um, franchise. I want to say it isn't anymore, but I could be wrong. Um, and you but, know, mm. the Walton family, this is a great example of how racists and people, I mean, not calling the Walton family racists. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but this is how a great example of how that influence is still in the United States politics. They have more money than anybody would know to do with. They are from Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Walmart's headquarters is based in Bentonville, Arkansas. I've been to it. I've seen it. They have an entire town built dedicated to Walmart in Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas yeah. is also the home of the KKK. Mm. Their headquarters was based out of Harrison, Arkansas for a long time. It's mm. one of the most racist towns in the United States. And, you know, people who are grown up in that environment, you know, that's how that money gets into politics today. They form what's called a super PAC because in the United States, political contributions are limited mm -hmm. unless it is done on the behalf of the candidate. 
So that's, that's where the political system is broken. I can only give a candidate X amount of money. I don't even know. I think it's like a maximum of $2,500. Right. But I can start a foundation that raises $30 million and buys ads on behalf of that political candidate. We're not affiliated with that political candidate. I'm not Joe Biden, but these were paid for on behalf of Joe Biden. These right. were paid for by yeah. the committee to get Donald Trump elected. This was paid for by the NRA. This was paid mm. for by the Walton family. This was paid for by XYZ. Mm. And traditionally, these rich people, you know, the 1%, are right-leaning because the right-leaning supports the ideal of trickle-down economics. Tax mm. breaks for the rich will fuel the poor. Obviously, mm. I don't know how else to explain that's not working in the United States. <laughs> 1% owns 90% of the wealth and that's failed. Yeah. But that's still, an, that's still a hot-button issue in the U.S. today, you know. Mm. And so Reagan not only did that, but he stoked the fears of, you know, socialism. Mm -hmm. Because during that time when he was elected was during the Cold War. Communism fear. So in the United States, there was a period of time after World War II, mm -hmm. and after Vietnam, well, after Vietnam, and before 2000, it ended in 86. It was called the Cold War. It wasn't a real war, mm -hmm. but um, just for context, we do learn a little bit about the Cold War in schools here, so you, you cool. don't need to do a full a full history. <laughs> cool, yeah. So the Cold War, basically, he used communism, the fear of communism, to help propagate a fear of socialism. Socialism became a dirty word, you know. Mm. I believe it was Harry Truman or FDR, one of them, had a quote where they said, you know, they use socialism as a scare word because they don't want to spend their money. Right. And FDR is a great example of how socialism works in the United States, but people don't realize that it's socialism. You know, right. they, they mm -hmm. have, you know, grew up with it because he brought us out of World War II that they don't think it's socialism. They think it's just normal American capitalism when it's the exact opposite, you know, and that's partly because of our failure of the education system. And that's partly because the indoctrination and all of that I've gone through already. Mm. But um, it's really surprising. And I think it's becoming less prominent nowadays because information is so readily available. You know, there's more people in my generation that think like me, you know, I have yeah. a bunch of friends that think like me, you know, I can, Ben and Jerry's has a link on their website. I was looking up uh, in preparation, you know, they have a link on their website talking about how slavery still exists mm. in modern day America. Yeah. You know, an ice cream company. Feels <laughs> of, all, of all companies, you That's know, That's why Ben and Jerry's cream. stays in my freezer because they stay real. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and they have a great point, you know, that slavery doesn't exist in the modern sense in the united states but through various political leanings you know over time it's just become mass incarceration and yeah. i can provide you with the links to that so they can you you can research that a little bit into yourselves thanks 
but um I mean it it this does tie quite nicely to a question I had so if, if you don't mind I sure, would go for interject. It. Um something I was wondering is how do you think most Americans get their information about you know the political candidates and the parties and who to vote for because I mean, I'm going to assume that kind of stuff isn't really covered in schools. Um, and so I assume, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that most of it is either through research by yourself or generational, you know, from from your parents, from propaganda, from the like whoever is around you, you know. Yep. Completely. Um, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's a little mix of both, you know, generationally. That makes a huge, huge impact on people, especially when you have a presidential candidate that appeals to the older generation. Let's make America great again. Mm. You know, and he uses those old racist ideologies to not only pull the old generation, but the old generation's children that they indoctrinated. Because, you know, a great example of that is with my family. You know, I made a little bit of a Facebook post discussing on how if you voted for Trump, you know, you didn't support me. You, you actively voted to try and take my rights away. Mm -hmm. And that upset a lot of my family. And so yeah. I have been getting a lot of flack mm -hmm. from my family. And, mm -hmm. you know, those societal pressures, you know, as a gay man, I'm used to them because I'm already a disenfranchised minority. Right. So I'm pretty much kind of already accustomed to being that outcast, but to the average American, you know, that social bond is strong. Family is everything for an American. Right. Yeah. And so when you're cast out, you know, you ain't got nowhere else to go. And yeah. so part of it is that. And then part of it is they do research and, you know, they don't look beyond the media that their dear leader tells them to look at, mm -hmm. you know, and then when that isn't controlled to the degree of whatever political talking head they are following, then they just go straight to the political talking head, you know, and a great example is Donald Trump, you know, anything that disagrees with him is fake news, doesn't matter who says it doesn't matter if that guy was, you know, voted for him, raised $10 million for him. If you say something Donald Trump doesn't like, it's fake news. Right. But, you know, every time he says that, you'll hear people ask him, okay, so where's the truth? And he won't say where the truth is. He just says yeah. that it's fake news. I You're suppose. Fake news, but I don't have the truth. Yeah, I suppose in that way, it must be difficult to know who to trust in in terms of politics and a lot of it has to do with media manipulation because there is massive media manipulation in the united states i wish there was the u.s equivalent of the bbc like i go to the bbc for american politics because i know the bbc is a rather neutral organization mm -hmm. and that's hard to find in the united states because of two people two really really rich people George Soros and Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch owns 
all of the right-wing media. George mm -hmm. Soros basically helps control all of the left-wing media. And they're both massive political party donators. Surprise, mm -hmm. surprise. And so while Donald Trump obviously is a known liar, he does have a little bit of a point to make that our media is heavily manipulated to act on your confirmation bias. You know, mm -hmm. people want to be right. Americans love to be right. <laughs> I think yeah. everyone knows that. Mm. And so when they're not, you know, that can sometimes end up hotly argumentative. You know, look at our presidential debates. They're not debates. They're just two old men shouting at one another. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. There is no more political discourse. It's I'm right, you're wrong, done. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's super interesting. Because um, I know, to draw a little bit of a comparison to the UK, the, the main places we can get our information about political parties um, is social media, all of the political parties have their own social media accounts. Um, but also, they all publish a manifesto um, on their own websites. So, I mean, if you ask anyone, like, the best way to make your own decision is just to go and read all of the manifestos. And whether you trust those or not is, is really down to you. Um, but, I mean, I'm not saying the fake news doesn't exist in the UK, um, of course. But, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me how, especially in particularly rural areas um, where the, the side of um, Donald Trump in, in this case um, was so strong is, you know, where do they, where do they get their information? So that's, that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And a lot of it is when you talk to a Trump supporter, mm -hmm. they're gonna, you know, you'll bring up a point. Well, Trump, you know, is, you know, they'll say something like, I was talking to one the other day, you know, Trump did all of this for infrastructure. You know, he passed this, you know, bills for infrastructure to get things proposed through so we could get better infrastructure for roads and to help fix a whole bunch of societal issues in the United States. It was mm. never passed. He proposed it. It never got passed. Mm. But that doesn't matter. He proposed it. Now it's Congress's fault because dirty Congress doesn't want to help the American people. Yeah. And so boom, then that's taken out of context that while, yes, he did propose it, it was horribly written and both sides didn't like it. So neither side wanted anything to do with it. But that's not the part the media reports on because Donald Trump had so much influence over right-wing media. You mm -hmm. know, and this election's a great example of it. You know, he, for the last week, has been screaming at the top of his lungs that mail-in ballots are going to lose him the election, that it's fake, that the Bidens are stealing the election, that you know mail-in ballots are fraud, that there's more Democrats than there are, you know, there's more Democratic votes than there are Democrats, stuff like that. Mm. None of it, which is founded in reality, and it's gotten to the point where like our major news media uh, organizations stop airing him like three major news outlets in the middle of one of his speeches just switched off and wow. went to their news anchors to discuss, you know, hey, what he's saying, there is no evidence for, you know, right. the yeah. Associated Press, the people that have ran the election since 1854 have found 
zero evidence of mail-in fraud. Yeah. But you're yeah. going to see all over social media, you're going to see all over right-wing media that there's this fraud, that there's this mail-in fraud, that, you know, the Bidens are stealing the election, you know. Just mm. the other day I saw on the news, there was a guy that interrupted a news conference, just a random citizen screaming at the top of his lungs that the Bidens were stealing the election, that you can't trust the media, they're covering it up and this and that, it's a mm. collusion. And that really stokes the fears in a lot of Americans because these people also believe in overthrowing a tyrannical government, mm. you know, like the three percenters, like the Proud Boys. Right. And when you have tensions that are high, that's how these groups pray. You know, they, they, they wait until you're upset. They wait until you're outraged that your candidate lost because the Biden stole the election and then – now you have double the numbers of your militia. Mm. Now you're more of a threat. Now you can go intimidate voters. Now you actually have power to get what you want. Mm. And then I mean, that's a self-fulfilling pro prophecy of, okay, now we're getting what we're on. Yeah, it was the corrupt family mm. that was doing it. Look how much good work we did. Mm. I mean, something really interesting that I'd like to know um, before we like kind of start to wrap up time-wise and stuff um, is, you know, what do you think the next week is going to be like? I mean, we've, we've seen that the Biden has won. Um, this, we found out today. Um, so what, what do you anticipate? What, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I don't think it'll play out over the next week. It'll probably be the next month. So right. there's a period of time, obviously, next year, Joe Biden will become the president. Donald Trump still has a few months left in his presidency. Okay. This is called the lame duck period of his presidency okay. because he's a lame duck. He's dead in the water. That's, mm -hmm. that's the political thought about it. Right. And he is going to try everything in his power to discredit this election he's already brought up dozens of lawsuits he's already bringing it to the supreme court mm -hmm. and you know that brings to the point of the supreme court that he's been stacking by the way because the president appoints supreme court judges fun fact that's a really broken part about american politics is that the president uh, appoints supreme court judges and donald yes. trump had the lovely privilege incredibly rare opportunity to appoint two wow and that has made the supreme court into one of the most conservative courts since the early 60s wow yeah and you know um, that... am i am i correct in understanding that once somebody uh is elected into the supreme court they're in for life yep they're in for life or when they retire. And, you know, a great example is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest mm -hmm. her soul. You know, she was in there for life because yeah. she understood that if she left during this presidency, she would be replaced with somebody who had worked to undo everything she'd done. And mm -hmm. I mean, she was. But, you know, they're already talking about repealing Roe v. Wade, which is the court decision that allows abortions. They're already talking about repealing the court decision to allow the legalization of gay marriage. 
they are already discussing all of these options mm. and you know they are also the organization that handles the case for elections great mm. and so you know you're going to see a lot of that i don't mm. think it'll explode into a civil war okay. i hope it doesn't yeah uh, yeah <laughs> it's entirely possible with the forces at play like mm -hmm. there is definitely a chance but you know i'd like to have a little bit more hope for my fellow countrymen mm -hmm. you know yeah. i don't think it'll devolve into violence that quickly mm -hmm. if it does you're going to see something that has never happened before you're going to see american troops on american soil you're going to wow. see yeah, you're going to see the National Guard get called in. You're going to see a civil war in America. Mm. You know, it'll be relatively short-lived because the people that they voted for have been growing the military <laughs> since the, the early 80s. And so our military is the largest in the world. And, you know, even if half the country rose up against them, it's, Don't really stand you, as much you're not going to stand a snowball's chance in hell. Like, there's just no way. It's the United States military. It, we're a global superpower for a reason. Mm. You know? For sure. And yeah. I don't think it'll get to that extreme. Mm -hmm. But who knows? Donald Trump may refuse to leave office. Yeah. I mean, I know that there's been some light talk of that in the UK of people saying, like, do you think he's going to leave? Um, do you think he'll leave quietly? Um, and it, it's it's a real speculation. Yeah, you know? Your guess is as good as mine. You know, this is a really scary time in U.S. politics because mm. um, nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, yeah. the polls are all wonky. You know, last, the first election, everyone, no one expected Donald Trump to win. And then he did. Mm. And now, you know, nobody expected him to survive the impeachment, but he did. Nobody expected him to do this, but he did. And so there's been so many yeah. just how on earth did it get this bad moments for I mean, so many Americans that it's like, we're all just, okay, what's next? You know, is, is he going to declare himself the God Emperor of the United States and, you know, say he's not leaving? Is he going to yeah. get drug out by his toupee? I don't know, but. I mean, it's definitely interesting um to kind of to see what see what's happening for sure um, and i'll bring up a, a little bit of like a an interesting point you know Stalin and i have a plan to flee the country if it's that bad you know mm. we you know if it does get that bad we have planned you know we've come up with ideas what we need to do legally you know to escape into canada you know that's going to be our best option Mm, is to try yeah. and flee to Canada as a refugee because in the area that I'm in, it's not safe for me. No. You know, if 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 it breaks out to there, you know, that's our plan is to leave the country because it's just simply not worth the risk. I mean, know? I think it's it's really interesting that, that you bring that up and that it's really um it's you know it's very very empathetic it's, it's very emotional um and i think it's also i'm i'm glad you shared it with me because i think in the uk some people don't actually realize that that is something that you've seriously talked about you know that you know we all yeah. sit here and think 
can't like look at America, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, in the nicest way possible. I know a lot of people that I have conversations about America with. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a country that confuses me on a daily basis, which is why I'm asking all these questions. And yeah. it's, it's not the first time today that I've spoken to an American who has genuinely said something to me and I've just gone, you know, I actually can't believe that yeah. that's the situation that you're in. So I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah. And, you know, I'll bring up this last point that way people, you know, don't think I'm just kind of blowing it out of the water mm -hmm. in the state that I live in. So understanding U.S. law is a little tricky because we're a, a mixed level of federalism, right. meaning we have the U.S. government and then we have our state governments. Mm -hmm. And each of these state governments also acts like its own individual country mm. on top of being inside of a country. That's why it's called the United States. Yeah. And so there is something called the supremacy clause in our Constitution wherever federal law contradicts state law, federal law supersedes. That's what the Civil War was fought over. Right. And so in the United States, there is no protection for sexual orientation in the Constitution. And in Missouri, there isn't either. And so in Missouri, I can be evicted for being gay. I can be denied promotions and jobs for being gay. It's, it's happened. You know, I can provide you some news articles to show you that it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, the Missouri Human Rights Council will not look at any of any case that has to do with gay discrimination because it's not against the Constitution. And yeah. so, you know, I am treated as a second-class citizen, you know, and that's something... I understand isn't going to change in a long time. So even if it doesn't break out into a, you know, civil war and we don't have to flee, I'm still going to try and leave Missouri because, you know, Missouri, in my opinion, has shown no willingness to change yet. Yeah. You know, and a great example of this is there has been a bill in Missouri's Congress. It acts exactly the same as uh, the federal Congress. Yeah. Um, there's been a bill for the last 20 years that has been shot down in Missouri's Congress that would add sexual orientation and gender identity to uh, the Missouri Constitution, the Human Rights Act, as protected classes. Mm. It's been shot down every year for the last 20 years. And, you know, that seems like small peanuts, but, it's you not. know, it's the, totally not. <laughs> the the courts have decided that it is totally legal for anyone to deny me service based on who i am and you know that's a lot more shocking to hear coming from the country of the free home of the brave mm. when you know i have to worry about going into a store and yeah. hoping that guy doesn't hate gays yeah you know, it's I a mean, gamble you know, I think my landlord is a great example. He does not speak to Stephen, has not right. said a word to him. He's met him multiple times. He will only speak to me. And that's, that's how it goes a lot mm -hmm. of times in Missouri. And you have to be careful because, you know, 
at any point, you know, he could choose not to renew our lease because we're gay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, it, it's super interesting bringing up sort of like the land of the free and stuff, because I think what a lot of people that I've met anyway, don't understand that for, for most Americans, you know, most Americans genuinely believe um, they're in the land of the free. They're in the land. Brave. Yeah, you know, that everything is peachy in America because if you're an American, you know, that's like an example I use a lot is that um, in America, if you have a baby, even if you're not from America, that baby is entitled to American citizenship because yep. a human born on American soil is American. Um, yep. And it, that one is kind of weird to me because it doesn't make all that much sense. But I think from a perspective of, you know, you're looking at a country that not only genuinely believes like the land of the free and the land of the brave, which I'm not necessarily saying otherwise, but also a country that you stand up every single day in school and say the Pledge of Allegiance. You, you know, you're constantly fed information that, being American is great, <laughs> Yeah. which again, I, I don't have anything against yeah. Americans, obviously. There's, there's lots of great things that America does and can mm, do. For sure. But yeah. it's completely, you know, ignorant to ignore all the stuff America hasn't, you know, had mm. the greatest moral compass with, mm. you know, and it's the reason why we are still dealing with it is because a lot of it, you know, conservatives believe they are trying to conserve the good things in the society. You know, they're not opposed to progressiveness per se, but they want to hold on to the good things. The main mm -hmm. difference when you, you talk to an American is how they view the past. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look at the past, I see Stonewall. I see that we had to fight for our rights. You know, my rights still aren't guaranteed. It's still an ongoing fight. Mm. You know, when black people look back, they see white hoods, they see burning crosses, they see, you know, grandma and grandpa that got lynched. You know, they don't see the the classic, let's go to church, the nuclear family of the 50s, the Brady Bunch. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, the mo the majority I I think that's that's at least how it helps me sleep at night thinking Trump supporters aren't all just horrible evil human beings is that a lot of them when they look back when they hear the words make America great again they think the Brady Bunch mm -hmm. they think um, it's almost nostalgic you know yeah, looking back think, on their own you know, childhoods their own exactly. Their own and I can get that sentiment a hundred percent, you know, yeah. that's, that's, there were great parts about the good old days too. I'm not saying America's past was filled every single day, 100% with all of these negative, horrible things. Oh yeah, but, for sure. You know, America you know, does have the world has some great no things. About, you know, America's atrocities because America doesn't talk about it. And if America doesn't talk about it, you don't hear about it from America. Mm. Yeah, and no, so, for sure. It's, it's definitely something that, you know, I urge your listeners to look into just to see, you know, it, it gives them a better at least viewpoint on how wacky our politics are. You know, I, in, in the United States, you have 
such a weird, unique legal system that allows for so many people to fall through the cracks of human rights and allows for so much different, you know, abuses to go on unnoticed that I could sit here for until I'm blue in the face going over the things that, you know, mm. affect just me. Yeah. In Missouri, not even just nationwide, just me in Missouri, you know, mm. and I'm, I'm hugely privileged. Mm. Yeah. And I still don't have rights because I am a white male in the United States. I mm. recognize that. I have never once in my life ever had to worry about the color of my skin. Mm. Where I grew up in St. Louis, that was horrible. That was very apparent. You know, the Ferguson riots that were on the news all across the country happened in St. Louis. Right. You know, and that's, you know, something I've never had to deal with. And then you think that people have it worse than I do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been really interesting talking to you about all of this. And I think, I think I've, I've definitely learned a lot. So I hope people listening to this will really get to connect with your story. Um, and yeah, it's just been really good getting this, this insight really into Missouri and, and your personal experiences. Um, I'm going to wrap up the recording here because uh, okay. it's, it's quite long as it is. And yeah, sure. yeah. I've <laughs> but, rambled for quite some time now. That's okay. Um, and, you know, I've had a really good history lesson, um, but I, I just want to say a huge thank you for talking to me about this. I know yeah. it's very personal and it's also something that you're very passionate about and, you know, something very central to your life right now. So I just want to say a huge thanks for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I do appreciate the opportunity. And like I said, I'm not here to try and convince anybody or say that my viewpoints are set in stone, the word of God. Mm -hmm. I'm just here to provide you the non-usual American viewpoint to mm -hmm. let you know that not all of us believe making America great again, you know, actually means that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you've done a great job. Um, so yeah, I'd like to say a huge thank you again for joining me. Getting to speak to Joe on this podcast was a lot of fun and I certainly learned a lot and I hope that whoever's listening did as well. If you want to see or hear more of this, then please subscribe and if you want to feature on my podcast, please contact me via the contacts in the description.